Welcome, explorers. Fasten your taste, bud folks. This is the Flavor Expedition, and we're ready to embark on an incredible journey through the world of flavors. We're diving into the depths of food trends, exploring exotic taste, and navigating the ever-evolving food and beverage industry. Buckle up as we take off to explore the delicious, the daring, and the downright delightful dishes from across the globe. We are ready to set your palates on flavor-packed adventure, so let's get rolling. All righty, all righty, here we are. Well, welcome, everybody. I am uh, Dan Follacy. Alongside me is Chase Obachain, my co-host, and welcome to the Flavor Expedition. You're going to be oh, our hello. explorers. Hello, hello. Yeah, that's awesome. So we got uh, with us today, we are going to be going to uh, episode one, Chase. This is going to be our official first and foremost episode that we're going to be uh, diving into the cuisine of fusion, right? Yeah, right? that's what we're looking at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is episode one, as you mentioned. For all of those listeners who heard episode zero, you know a little bit about the format of our show, but I'll just do it really, really briefly and quickly here for any new listeners who said, I don't want to listen to episode zero, I want to listen right here, right now to episode one. So we are talking about fusion cuisine, and the way that we format our episodes is very simple. Three primary parts, the past, the present, and the future, but we like to call them unearthing a trend, discovering a trend, and bringing it back home. So, yeah, Dan, let's go ahead and jump on in, brother. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, let's rock and roll on this. I love it. We've got, uh, you know, a whole conversation I think is really interesting. Fusion cuisine is, you know, as we start in the back and we look at the history around it, you know, we've had this conversation. I think it's really interesting that fusion cuisine goes back so much further than uh, what today's uh, you know, people are speaking about and, and yeah, I, think I it's almost important. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, I think, think it's just important. to cut you yeah. off really quickly here. I, I think it's almost good to call out the fact that it's not necessarily fusion cuisine, right? It's, it's more than just a cuisine. It's like a, it's a weird blanket term that people like to apply to everything and, and say, anytime you put two things together, it's fusion cuisine, but every cuisine we've talked about it a little bit is kind of a fusion cuisine, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it goes back to, you know, nations conquering each other and bringing their favorite ingredient or their, you know, some specialty they have that, that you know, reminds them of home and, or is something sustainable and, uh, you know, is, is something that they can transfer and bring and incorporate and make it part of that new nation, right? So we've, we've, we've heard this from, uh, you know, Roman soldiers bringing, uh, I think it's Pecorino Romano, you know, wheels of cheese with them to sustain them. But now it's, it's all over the world and it's a part of a lot of different dishes is a hard grated cheese on top of things. Oh, so yeah. I think even, even more current, you've, you've, you've spoken many times about, um, you know, kind of where it came to here in the U.S., yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just like you were saying, the the kind of technical origin a, a lot of people like to attribute to fusion cuisine is, uh, you know, French chefs in, in New York City and the big cities in the 60s and 70s, of course, have had to start with French chefs, right? Um, kind of giving... Asian ingredients, a bit of a highlight and a showcase in their, their fine dining upscale restaurants. And um, I mean, of course, 
who other than Wolfgang Puck to be kind of the perfect quintessential example. I mean, one of the icons of of French cuisine in the U.S. He's one of his big restaurants when he kind of really became a, I don't, I don't want to say became an innovator. I suppose he's always been an innovator, but um, was a restaurant called Chinois, which is of course French for the word Chinese. And here's a funnier thing about, think about this. He's Australian with French cuisine incorporating you know, more Asian influenced flavors. So he's 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 a real deal when you're Is talking he Australian. Fusion I cuisine. thought he was French. Oh, really? With that accent? Yeah, I don't think so. I think he's much more okay. Australian. <laughs> yeah, Whatever I think you're you wrong say. on that one. Yeah, all right. But he I'll was definitely he's definitely an innovator for that uh, coming up with that fusion cuisine, starting with that uh, you know Americanizing those Chinese dishes, right? Yeah, but I, you know, staying here in our kind of unearthing phase, if if we look back into the Americanization of specifically Chinese ingredients, right? It it, it all sort of starts in America in the 1800s with you know Chinese immigrants coming to America for you know the the railroad and all of those different sorts of things that were booming on the the western half of uh, the U.S. frontier, right? You know, that's where things like chop suey manifested, of course, classic Chinese dish, chop suey. Uh, What's in chop suey? It's whatever you could put together in the dish and feed somebody. That's exactly right. You know, it's one of those cases where, you know, to Dan, your point, it's, it's just... Fusion cuisine is inherent to all cuisine. Every single cuisine is a fusion cuisine. It is just the storytelling of the adaptation and collaboration or uh, hardships of of a people, right? I mean, the the tomato didn't come to Italy until the late 1500s or no, late 15th century, 1400s, I suppose that would be. Yeah, 15th century. It's a sub-South American or Mexican fruit, right? So. You know, and to bring that exactly. more current, the pizza didn't come to the United States until after World War II. So we're talking late, late, mid to late 40s, right? So the pizza is now ubiquitous with American cuisine. It's the number one item, and it probably has the most fusion applications as a carrier uh, than a lot of dishes. So, you know, and, and so I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, people kind of forgotten that. And then, of course, you know, later on in the 70s, you mentioned the Asian cuisines and Wolfgang Puck, who is Australian, if not German, <laughs> definitely has. <laughs> but he he, he, he kind of took that whole twist and put it together and made something really into it. You know, it was called mashup, you know, for a while, which is kind of like, I think that was, uh, you know, not the best choice of words because, you know, mashing things up it just doesn't seem very poetic. And, you know, culinarians, we like to kind of infused we romanticize flavors. things yeah, yeah yeah we romanticize yeah. it it's got to be a little bit more flowery right but no i mean i i think that's a, a beautiful segue that you you kind of made there of talking about how these cuisines that we think of as so old or so sort of you know mother mother cuisines like italian cuisine really aren't all that old and pizza and in, in the sort of context of american dining is pretty pretty new still right not even a yeah. hundred years in america so yeah i think that's a, ber- a perfect segue into our, our middle segment here discovering our trend and you know let's talk about where we see fusion going today you know i i think one of the big things that i found in my research was the fact that uh there's a actually been a decline in the context of what we traditionally think of as the most prominent fusion cuisine being asian fusion according to a uh, taste wise 
down by about 14% since uh, yeah. last year. Yeah. That's kind of shocking. Yeah, I think I think a lot of those things uh, are going to attribute to more regional flavors. You know, I believe uh, Americans have got a pretty healthy perception of what Asian foods are or what they believe they are. Right. And, and sure. it's getting to be a lot more regional. So in, in that same uh, breadth of statistics, you know, there is a growth in ethnic cuisine. Right. I mean, 52 percent uh, is what mm -hmm. you had shared with me. And uh, yeah. you know, some unique flavors are growing heavily. You know, African flavors are going leaps and bounds. But what like what is an African flavor specifically? Is, yeah, it's well, a massive it's, continent. I mean, it's that's a, that's. That's right. It's like when people say, you know, it's an Asian cuisine. It's like, well, Asia is over 30 countries and it's the biggest continent. What could it possibly be? Um, but yeah, I mean, just to layer on there, it's, you know, African flavors up by 70% since last year and, you know, followed by Filipino and, and Peruvian. So, I mean, I think Filipino is one of those, um, you know, Asian cuisines as well, but it's it's a lesser known Asian cuisine that's that's on the rise. And so we're seeing a, a kind of decline in, in the ubiquitous uh, cuisine growth of Japanese, Chinese, maybe some of those other smaller Southeast yeah. Asian. But, you know, yeah. you see these newer, smaller cuisines gaining traction. Yeah, and there's focus on small regions that were, you know, historically reclaiming a bit of their heritage. Okinawan food, for example, you know, and the the the, the livelihood of uh, the purple potato that they're so well known for, and bringing that over is it's it's got you know cool things for color and a lot of other stuff, but attributes and health benefits. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting stories, and I I believe that the these fusion cuisines, especially in the world of Asian flavors, are getting more regional and more specific and more authentic. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to look at it. I, one of the ways that I like to think about it nowadays is the fact that it seems like there's two big buckets of, of fusion, right? There's this sort of natural fusion that is just the culmination of two different um, either entities or demographics coming together and just naturally fusing their cuisines. And then there's also uh, a sort of deliberate fusion where there are chefs with specific backgrounds. Maybe it'd be, be a passion for two different cuisines, just putting them together. Or there's friends starting different restaurants and they want to show off both of their backgrounds. One of my favorites is I was doing some research. There's a a restaurant in New York City called Shalom Japan, and if you couldn't guess what it is, it's a Jewish Japanese restaurant. And I think I had no idea with that name. No idea, Shalom <laughs> Japan. I right, thought that right? was you know. I mean, that sounded like Midwestern uh, steak and potato to me. But <laughs> well, you're not going to find matzo ball ramen or Reuben flavored okonomiyaki in too many Midwestern places. So no, yeah, definitely no, a cool that. one. And there's. There's a lot of people who can show off exactly what their background is, or there's founders who can start fun new restaurants and say, let's combine our different, uh, you know, points of view and let's make something fun for people to just kind of latch onto. And why not? Yeah. You know, I'm going to add a new layer to the wrinkle to this is that the conversation around Asian cuisine specifically, and, and it's been declining in that sense and talking about it being more regional. Um, this is kind of sad news, but it's interesting to understand is, you know, Momofuku is closing. David Chang's uh, November the 4th 
is going to be their last day of service. And, you know, the, the Momokuku noodle bar, right? So, uh, you know, that decline in uh, Asian cuisine, he really put an Americanization to, to that and didn't, uh, you know, get entirely specific with very unique ingredients. He used you know, uh, things that he grew up with because he, he was raised here in the States. So, you know, taking, you know, ramen noodles with American cheese and doing a, a ramen mac and cheese, right? You know, it's very, very comforting. It's a great fusion kind, kind of idea, but th- he's closing soon. So for that reason, I think it's interesting to understand that these trends evolve and you've got to be able to understand where you're at with that trend and what kind of operation restaurant you're servicing or selling who your customer is going to be. So you got to know where to go with that, right? Yeah. David Chang is such a really fantastic example that you bring up for just the present version of what fusion cuisine is in America. Cause he, he's one of those chefs who really brought Korean and Japanese, a lot of Asian flavors to a, a heightened degree of awareness um, in a way that, very few other chefs have been able to do so yeah a lot of respect to david ching and all of the advocacy he's done for the chefs of of america and and for just broadening the reach of the cuisines that he loves great food as well i mean yeah no i've i've i have dined there and it's it's, i've loved the experience it was fantastic i was kind of shocked and surprised but it also makes sense right i mean trends change fusion cuisine is an evolution of cuisines and where's that next step and as i mentioned i believe it's going to be more regional more specific uh even more authentic harder to get ingredients or more unusual ingredients right so you know there's been talk around yuzu as a flavor uh that isn't that's not a typical flavor people understand in the u.s but when you have it on a pastry and it's bright citrusy notes and it just adds so much complexity and a beverage as well uh, i think it's a great like you know, way to to do that fusion without getting too far away so, from things that people know. So when it comes to the future of fusion cuisine, let's go ahead and bring it back home. Let's look into the future. What do you see as some of the you know big trends as we look forward? Uh, you know, I I believe that you know some of the big trends that are really happening, and I've been corresponding with some of my other colleagues uh i work with a group uh over in japan as well and hearing what's happening in europe and i believe that the u.s uh, innovation pipeline is a good five seven years behind typically a lot of things that we see over in europe and and those other areas and beverages low alcoholic or non-alcoholic flavor infused uh health better health for you gut friendly stuff is probably what I see happening as one of the most exciting trends, as well as, you know, there's going to be new developments in, in plant-based foods because there was too much excitement around it. There was a growth, there's propellant in that, but people started realizing, Hey, I want plant-based, but I don't really want to eat, um, you know, something that's scientifically grown. And so you're saying that's a big platform for fusion cuisines? I think I think that's going to be an opportunity to explore and start bringing, you know, more of those flavors into it as a carrier or using more holistic um, whole fruits and vegetables in the sense of what they are and and sure. you know, using them for maybe upcycling purposes and leveraging. There's a lot of different uh, things that are happening out there. Fusion cuisine, I think, is really important to consider because it's a small world we're in a we're in a world where you can get 
more access to more unique uh, small particular locations that you would have never known of before. So understanding the benefits of um, some of those things are, are what's going to drive that innovation and help aspire others to gravitate towards those. And I think the, the Asian flavors, but more uh, in those, those regional players is what we're going to see. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I've found in, in my research was the fact that there's a study done and it was about, um, it was essentially on, on, picky eaters right and so in in that study just one of the big takeaways that i, I want to touch on here is uh, one third of consumers said that they would be willing to try new foods so long as they were based in some sort of fusion cuisine application so that is to say picky eaters are willing to in some cases break away from being picky and try something new so long as it's rooted in another already relatable platform so to me that's that's a really great opportunity as a chef to say okay well we have a jumping off point where we can start with something that is incredibly ubiquitous a, a macaroni and cheese of sorts i think that's always one of the most perfect examples or pizza right and and say okay well what can we add this one small change to this and and how can we bring in those new consumers to try that one new thing. And maybe that builds out something new for that consumer, or that maybe builds out some new capabilities for us to expand on our menu. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you talk about fusion cuisine, it's, it's, you know, it's ever evolving. Uh, you know, it's, there's big, big ones that kind of step out. Like we mentioned, you know, Momofuko's, David Chang and Wolfgang Puck, you know, had brought this, this inspirational innovation of, combining these exciting new flavors together and and you know i think we're going to be seeing more of those things happening we talked about uh, african cuisine even more focused on that i think uh that i've seen most often gain a lot of excitement like in the food truck scene is ethiopian foods right and so it's more about spices and flavors and more earthy uh tones and notes that uh they they, they cook with and they apply them to different dishes so it's like slow roasted pot meat style dishes that are being you know layered over nachos and french fries with cheese sauce and so you've got this ethiopian nuances of, of essences and flavors that are blended into the spice works that create new uh dish that's really an old dish yeah, that, I mean, just to do a little bit of uh, improv innovation here, that kind of brings me back around to something I've been kind of wrapping my head around recently. Um, and I love Ethiopian food. It's one of my favorites. Um, but you know, I, I keep trying to come back to, I think there's really some space. And injera bread, of course, being one of the staple uh, sorts of foods in, in Ethiopian food, I, there's got to be, somebody needs to start doing some Ethiopian burritos using injera bread. Fill it with some <laughs> dorawat or some kitfo and some greens and veggies. Oh, man, it just seems like such a perfect sort of concept, right? Kind it of could be a great the, rap. Yeah. Right? The, bridging the American Tex-Mex love of anything in a burrito with the, the fact that injera can envelop anything and make it delicious. I, just, I think it's a perfect sort of a platform to grow on. So anybody out there, please feel free. Yeah. 
that's a that's a that's a very cool item injera you know it's it's a buckwheat kind of flatbread right uh they Mm -hmm. can roll it and they can you know use it as a scoop there's just a lot of uh prepared kind of dipping sauce uh stew like tight tight um sauces that that the ethiopian cuisine from what i've observed uh eats and so it's a great way to use as a carrier almost as a chip or tortilla as you were saying Uh, but maybe it's injerian fried in a in a way that it's a crispy chip instead so that could be you know that's fun yeah who's to say that it's a big platform for innovation not a lot of people in america have a a good solid background knowledge of ethiopian food it's a good good time to start bringing it in i think it's the time for it let's do it let's make it happen there you Um, go that's a fun that's a fun idea all right yeah, really quickly here. I think we're getting towards the end of our time. I, I know that we want to um, sound off and make sure that we're not keeping people too long. One thing I do want to touch on, uh, Wolfgang Puck is Austrian, oh, not Australian. Ooh. Oh, not Austrian. Australian. Did, oh, oh, I said Austrian. <laughs> did I say Australian? Yeah, no. I think you did. Oh, I, I said Austrian. He's a he's he's, Listeners, he's in the middle country. If, if you're out there, hey. give us a comment. Did he say Austrian or Australian? <laughs> I think I think I'm going to throw the red flag down and challenge you on what I said because in my head I heard that accent and it certainly wasn't saying <laughs> "Good day, mate." It was uh, you know, I, yeah, it was like it was a bit of an odd odd take. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hey, Chase. I want to thank everyone for joining us and listening in. Uh, next time we're going to be talking about, I think, uh, Gen Z is what we're going to be hooking up on. Uh, take us out. Gen Z. That's right. Yeah. So, everybody, thank you for joining us once again here on the Flavor Expedition. Next week, next episode is going to be Gen Z dining trends. Of course, big, huge topic. It's a macro trend made up of a bunch of smaller ones. So keep an ear out for it. We'll certainly keep you in the loop. But until then, please feel free to reach out to us. Dan Fallacy on LinkedIn or Chase Obenchain on LinkedIn or find us on our podcast page. Um, And otherwise, we will see you out in the field. All right. Talk to you later, explorers. Have a good day, Chase. You too. Bye.